Good evening. Nice to see you all. It's always a pleasure uh, to come and visit. And it's especially a pleasure this time of year, I think, uh, good times that we have together as family and especially as a spiritual family. So something I have been working on as a result of some Bible studies with a, a man who is not a Christian in, uh, in Nashville and there have been some really interesting studies. And, and the last study that we had, uh, he, he asked, uh, asked me a question about how difficult it was to give up a former life for a life that served the Lord. And it just kind of went from there. And a lot of the things that I presented to him, I, I felt like were important for me and I think uh, for all of us. So I'm going to pursue that then this evening and just have a here have, have an interesting, I think to me, interesting discussion on, on how we see ourselves in our relationship uh, to God. So our, our study begins in the 8th chapter of the book of John. And if you'll open your Bibles there, we'll spend most of our time in, in the end of John 8 and into, into even John chapter 9. But John, John chapter 8, and we'll begin reading at verse 30. This is a, an extremely interesting text. I, I don't know that I had ever been impacted with it as much as I have recently, just seeing this particular uh, discussion. So notice just beginning at verse 30, uh, of course, everything has led up to this as Certain Jews are beginning to understand who Jesus is and beginning to accept who he is. And so verse 30 says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, if we stop right there, I think it interesting just to see how this is introduced. It's kind of an exciting time. I know that when you and I are teaching someone and we see them beginning to believe, it is one of those times just like this. And, and it, it seems that Jesus is able just to take that to another level. Finally, here are some among this crowd who are accepting me, who are believing. And so Jesus takes it to a next level. And he says, well, if you're going to truly be my disciple, I want you to notice that truly. If you're going to truly be my disciple, you're going to know the truth and you're going to abide in the truth. And it's going to set you free. And you just kind of feel a, a nice excitement to let me get you the rest of the way. Verse 33, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do, you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. 
But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father, that your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot hear, you cannot hear, uh, bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now tell me something. Did that conversation go downhill? I mean, isn't that sometimes you and I, I think, have had similar conversations and we think it started so well and it ended up so badly. And that's exactly what you see here. At first you say, well, here's some of these people who believe in him. And Jesus says, now you can truly be my disciple. Just abide in my word and it's going to be great and all of this. And they turn around and go, we've never been enslaved to anybody. Well... You have a real problem if you don't understand that. Not only are you literally, physically servants of Rome right now, but you are a slave to sin. And Jesus tries to expose that. Well, there's no way that is happening. And he gets down to the point where Jesus is telling them they're children of Satan. They're both murderers and liars. And they're calling Jesus a child of fornication. Which you can imagine, you know, they're probably going, yeah, we heard how you were born. Wow. Pretty edgy, huh? Getting kind of uh, a tough, uh, very, very tense conversation that is going here. Now, here's what strikes me right off. What takes place here is a great example of what you see throughout the Gospel of John. There are believers, and then there are those who Jesus would call truly believers, true disciples. In this case, if you want to be truly my disciple, you will abide in my word, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But if you don't do that, you're believers, but not truly, truly believers. You're disciples, but not truly disciples. And I believe that ought to cause all of us to ask the question, am I truly a disciple of Christ? Not just am I a disciple of Christ. Am I truly a disciple of Christ? Because in the gospel, there are both kinds. And there is illustrated both kinds all the way through this particular account. So let's go from here. The challenge here then is to really know the truth and abide in his word. 
Now, in order to really know the truth, what what is that going to take? What is it going to mean for us to be able to do that? It ends up saying that we must really love it above everything else. It reminds me of what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And Brent is going to get to this in his uh, preaching, I think, next week. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you will notice in verse 9 that uh, the apostle says these words, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Now there's, there's a, a prerequisite to truly knowing the truth and abiding in the truth. It takes us loving it so much that we are going to accept it even when it rips our life apart. Even when it tears away everything that we love and everything we want and everything our flesh desires, we are still going to accept that truth. So then it really comes down to what what was it that caused these believing Jews, as John calls them, and as was accepted in the beginning of the conversation, what caused these believing Jews to make it so difficult for them to accept the words of Jesus? What was it about that 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 caused them to do that? And I'm going to suggest to you that the desire was... To have a different Jesus than the Jesus that was standing before them. Jesus of Nazareth was not the Jesus they were wanting and not the Jesus they were looking for. And that seems to be somewhat of a pattern. You see it with Nicodemus. Oh, look at the miracles. You must be from God. And Jesus says, well, you know, if you understood a few things, you would uh, understand you're not even in the kingdom. I'm paraphrasing. (laughs) You've got a long way to go, Nick. And Nick's like, what are you talking about? How how is this? In John 6, you have multitudes that he feeds, the the 5,000 and all the others that are with him, and they follow him and all of this. And throughout the following day, he's teaching them about who he really is, and they start trickling off and trickling off and trickling off, and it's such an amazing scene. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands gradually just turning and walking away. And Jesus gets down to looking at the insider disciples basically and going, anybody else? You want to go too? You know, you can see how bothered he is about it. He's really upset. Nice. And you want to go too? And of course, Peter says those great words. Well, where where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. There is a man who was in contrast to what the multitudes were doing. But what we have to understand is there is a great challenge that all of us face. It is the challenge of truly hearing Jesus and resisting the pressure of our inner culture. Now, Let me explain what I mean by that. 
We have all heard sermons and we all understand the principle of dealing with this outer culture that is around us. The culture of America or of our community or whatever. We, we all understand that. And, and if you grew up on the, on the pew, you grew up with your parents teaching you, you understand something that has been presented to you over and over again about be careful. Do not become like the kids at school. Do not become like the people at work. Do not become like the world. You have to resist that. We get that. But there's a bigger pressure. It's the pressure that goes on inside this building. It's the pressure that goes on inside of our families. It's the pressure that takes place within our brotherhood. Between churches and between individual Christians in different churches. It's the pressure preachers face all the time. If I teach that, I know all kinds of preachers who will really tear me up. If I preach that, I know elders who will get mad at me and do thus and so or this. If I teach that, I have family members who are going to reject me. It is a pressure from that inner culture that becomes in some ways even a greater challenge than the pressure that comes from those outside. Most of us get insulated from that after a while. We go, who cares? We know what's going to happen to them anyway. We can stand up to that. But can you stand up to it when you'll be rejected by everyone you love? Will you then stand up to it? And we're not immune to that. And that that is what I think is the challenge. For these Jews, the consequences of truly believing in Jesus, being a true disciple, was going to turn their inner world upside down. They're going to be rejected by the majority of those around them. They're going to be rejected by their family members. They're going to be rejected by their community. They're going to be rejected by their church and their synagogue and the people that they have relied on all their life. They're going to be rejected by grandma and grandpa. And mom and dad. And brother and sister. And Jesus made that statement in Matthew 10. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And a man's enemies will be them, they of his own household. Ask yourself this question. What if you grew up Muslim? Thought about that? You didn't grow up in the United States of America. You grew up in Egypt or Iran or Iraq or someplace like that where the vast majority are Muslim. This is the way you grew up. Mom and dad are Muslim. Brothers and sisters are Muslim. Cousins are Muslim. Grandma and grandpa are Muslims. Great grandma and grandpa were Muslims. Great great grandma and grandpa were Muslims. You could go all the way back to the 800s and they were all Muslims. And here you are. What are you going to be? I'm going to be Muslim. You think you won't? I think I'm going to be Muslim. And it's going to take a tremendous amount of effort on my part to truly seek what is true and not conclude that the way I was raised is true. 
Most of us here, we, we can't even begin to understand that challenge. We, we, we feel like we haven't even come close to, to dealing with that. But please think about it. Do, do you and I not face similar challenges? Many, many of you here may have actually gone through some of that. Maybe you grew up in a, in a religious system that was far different than what you understand to be true today. And you, you gave up what, what you might say is uh, a religion that didn't exactly have the right rules for a religion that you now believe has more correct rules. And so you say to yourself, I've arrived. I gave up the religion with the incorrect rules for the religion with the correct rules. And then you have to ask yourself the question, did you really? And then you also have to ask yourself the question, even if I have found a religion with the correct rules, is that all there is to it? Well, of course it's not. Have you truly learned Christ for who He really is so that in your life you are actually reflecting the image of Christ and not an image that you've designed in your own minds? That is where we all face a very difficult uh, challenge for ourselves. This is where Israel was. You remember Israel referenced this this morning? What a lot of us uh, may have missed is, is, that, is that in Ezekiel chapter 20, when God talks about the Israelites while they were in Egypt and when He came to them to deliver them, He actually says, when I came to deliver you, you were all worshiping your idols. And I said to you that I would bring you out of the land and I would bring you to a glorious land that I had chosen just for you. And so I was ready to do that and I called upon you to give up your idols. And you would not give up your idols. And I determined in my heart and out of my wrath that I would destroy you. But because of my name, because I did not want my name to be dishonored, I decided to save you anyway and I brought you out. And I took you to Mount Sinai and I again told you to give up your idols and you wouldn't give up your idols. And it's just kind of interesting to think about how God was trying to get them to truly follow Him. Though they followed Him, they didn't follow Him. And so you have this text in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 5 and 6. Just listen to the words when Aaron designs the golden calf. He pronounces or announces to the people, Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. And they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Tomorrow will be a feast to who? To Yahweh. Aaron says, this is it. Here's your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. What had Aaron and the people done? They redesigned Yahweh. They merged their desires to make the Yahweh they really wanted. It was the ultimate sense of idolatry far beyond a calf that was designed out of gold. It was a mind thing in which they produced the Yahweh they really loved. 
and rejected the true Yahweh, but we still call Him Yahweh. No. You have redesigned your own God and satisfied yourself into thinking that you are worshiping God, but you are not worshiping God. You have only assigned the same name as God to the one, to the idol, to the image that you are worshiping. And how easy it is. Look at the words that are given here by Paul to the Corinthians. He says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Now would you notice especially those words. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Really devoted to Him. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one that we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit than the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. <laughs> Paul makes it very clear. These Corinthians would quickly and had quickly accepted a Jesus who did not exist. Created a Jesus that was not the true Jesus. Created and accepted a different spirit that was really not the Holy Spirit. Accepted a different gospel that was really not the true gospel. They simply tweaked it a bit to make it fit their desires. This is what it's all about in the beginning of 1 Corinthians. When he says you've emptied the cross of its power with all of your fancy words and nice lifestyles in which you think that this is the goal to live as kings. And you've created a Jesus that you worship that is really not Jesus. So here is our challenge. Tell me if this is true. You and I grew up believing in a different Jesus than the Jesus we ought to believe in. You think that's true? I think it's absolutely true. Because if you think about it long enough, and if you have grown in Christ, you would know it immediately. That the Jesus you originally believed in when you first became a Christian, that that picture of Him was erroneous compared to what you know about Him now and how you understand Him now. And it has truly made an effect upon your life. And if that's not so, I would suggest take a second look. Maybe you stayed with the same misconception of Jesus that you had when you first came to Him. As Brent has said all weekend, lots of people want to believe in the sweet little baby Jesus. But not in the adult Jesus who went to a cross and led the way for us to go to a cross. In Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17, it is interesting how Paul makes that, I think, pretty clear to us just in the Ephesian letter. 
He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now watch these words. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming you've heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self, look at this, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What is our whole Christian life about? It's about learning the picture of Jesus. The true picture. I don't know if I've said this to you before, but I think it is interesting. We have, of course, 66 documents contained in this Bible. And sometimes you could just look at it as 66 giant jigsaw puzzles that all fit into a massive big jigsaw puzzle that if you put it all together, you would see an accurate picture of God. You would see an accurate accurate picture of Jesus. And for every jigsaw puzzle that you don't know, there's a hole in the face of Jesus. There's a hole that would not allow you to see the true Jesus. How many Christians have holes all over the picture? And so our process is to learn it clearly so that we actually can reflect His image and are created, as Paul said, after the likeness of God. This is not easy. If you likened God's Word to just a straight line, a ruler, how does your life and my life look in comparison to the straight line ruler? Kind of a little bit like this? (laughs) Sure. There are things that we're not exactly, our life is not exactly lined up to that straight line. Now the question is, what do we do about that? The easy thing is to take the wavy line that looks more like my life and take God's law and make it wave in the same way my life does so that I can satisfy myself that I'm truly a worshiper of God. And I've created an idol. I've created a Yahweh that is a golden calf. That's the challenge. Here's what's hard. Is to take my wavy line and straighten it out to fit the rule of God. That's the biggest. That's the hardest. That's life disruptive. That causes my life to really be disrupted because I'm comfortable with the wavy line. And I really don't want to take away some of the things in my life that I love that I ought to give up in order to straighten it out to fit the pattern that God has given us. It is truly a painful and disruptive life and it it disrupts the inner culture 
that is around us. What happens then when we look different than the standard that God has given? What do we do about that? How do we handle that? That's the challenge that is before us. Now, our last text here, let's take a look at John chapter 9. I want you to see the follow-up to chapter 8, in which we saw believers that were not really believers. And now, I think, if anything, this is illustrated in this text just as beautifully as, as, as an inspired writer could do to, to cause us and challenge us in our own hearts. Of course, there are some simple facts of this particular story. And the simple facts are, Jesus comes across a man who was born blind. The disciples ask the question, Well, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I think it always interesting that people, and we are included in that, ask a question and we decide that there are two conclusions that could be drawn from the question. There are two answers that could be given. We do not imagine that there might be a third answer. (laughs) And that's exactly what happens here. And that's exactly why we can stay in a false teaching is because we conclude there's only two answers and uh, we don't consider there may be another. And of course, Jesus answers. Well, this man didn't sin, nor did his parents. To cause him to be born blind, this is all for the glory of God. And then he makes mud, and he puts it on the man's eyes, and he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. The man does so. Jesus goes his way. The man's eyes are, of course, healed. He sees, and he comes back, and we get down to verse 10, and he's having a discussion with his neighbors, and his neighbors are amazed and want to know what has actually happened here. Notice the words. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. Now first I want you just to notice how this man refers to the one who healed him. This man called Jesus did it. Notice how simple his beginning conclusions are. He doesn't know much about Jesus. And he simply says, this fellow named Jesus. He made mud. He put in my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam. I did it. I'm, I'm seeing. Voila. And, and they're, they're really confused. So here's what they do. Verse 12. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had, been, had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. All right, now things are getting a little edgy. Well, we need to take you to the authorities because the authorities have to make a decision about this. And there's a real problem if this was really a man named Jesus healing you who were born blind. And so we're just going to see what they have to say about it. These neighbors seem to have a hard time drawing their own conclusion. We've got to see what the bigwigs say. Ever heard somebody say, I need to go ask my pastor about that. Why don't you get your eyes into the book? And you think we're not above that? 
I will never forget doing a Bible class on Matthew chapter 19. And I took it on the question of divorce and remarriage. And I twisted it every way I knew it had been twisted with a straight face to the class and said, what do you think? That can't be so. Prove it. I don't know. Figure it out. Well, it's kind of hard. I don't get it. Think about it. Why don't you tell us the answer? I've worked on this for 10 years. You want me to give you the answer in five minutes? You work on it. What would my answer make any difference to you as to whether it's true or false? Really? And I will never forget a lady after about 20 minutes raising her hand and saying, Oh, come on, please give us the answer. (laughs) I just can't stand it. Yes, we have a major tendency to shortcut. Find somebody that we think knows more than us and just ask them to give us the answer and not really do our own work on the text and make sure. Well, my pastor says. Well, my preacher says. Well, how about this? My Apostle Paul says. (laughs) My Apostle Peter says. My Apostle John says. My Prophet Jeremiah says. What difference does it make if an uninspired man said something when I have got these friends with me in the inspired scriptures. And yet we'll pit an uninspired man against an inspired man and accept the uninspired man almost every time. You've seen it. I've seen it. And it even oftentimes can happen among us. So the pressure of our inner culture comes into play. And that's what happens here. Let's look on in verse 15. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. All right. The Pharisees say, I'll tell you what, here's a good party line to solve this whole problem. This man, you say, who healed you does not keep the Sabbath. Therefore, regardless of what he did to you, he can't be from God. Voila, we have the answer. There you go. And some of the others said, that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Well, wonderful. Somebody is going, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. And so there's a division among them and they're scratching their heads and saying, you know, we've got we to figure this out. Verse 17. So they said again to the blind man. You got too much stuff up here. <laughs> they said again to the blind man. What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. Notice beginning a man named Jesus. And now, he's a prophet. That's who he is. He's a prophet. That has to be. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind. Ah, 
Now we have another conclusion. Well, here, here's the real ruse here. The man really never was blind in the first place. So we'll, we'll pursue that one. And so they did not believe he'd been born blind. He'd been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who'd received his sight. And they asked him, Ask them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. For nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. Parenthetically, his parents said these things because they found they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ... He was put out of the synagogue. And so, the parents said, he's of age asking. All right. You see the pressure? The parents are under. He's going to be put out of the synagogue. Now, I would imagine that all of us here, and you're, I'm sure you're just like me on this, I, I, my, my first thought is, well, so what? Yeah. To be put out of the synagogue did not just mean that you no longer got to go to church. It meant you were blackballed in your business. It means you lost your job. It means you're kicked out of your family. It means your entire world is turned upside down. You show up at work tomorrow and your boss says, you're done, dude. Get out. You go open your business tomorrow and nobody's stopping in. You're done. You're still going to say? You're still going to say Jesus is the one who healed him? Or are you going to say, well, you, you know, uh, how, can, how can anybody know? I mean, you just need, you, why don't you just go ask him? And the parents cave in. They cannot go that far. Now look at, look at verse 18. I mean, verse 20, uh, 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Now I want you to notice, all right, we've exhausted everything we can figure out. Um, we tried the Sabbath thing. That didn't seem to work. So then we went and asked his parents, figuring maybe he's not really blind. He wasn't really blind in the first place. That didn't work. So here's what we'll do. Okay, we're going to give you an out, former blind man. And here's your out. Give glory to God. This guy, just reject him. We'll go along with the miracle. But not Jesus. Well, this man is incredible at this particular point. I love this. You have to feel what it is like to talk to these Pharisees. They are the leaders of the nation. You do not wrangle with them. Watch what the man does. Verse 25. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. The one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want, want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why? This is an amazing thing. 
You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. You big shot religious folks, you think you know everything, and you don't know how this guy opened my eyes, and you just can't figure it out. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of the man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Oh, pretty powerful argument, blind man. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? And they cast him out. You trying to teach us? We're the pastors around here. We're the preachers around here. We're the ones who know the law around here. We're the ones who've studied it all our lives. We're the ones that have given our life to understanding this. And you're going to teach us? Ha! And they cast him out. You're done. And you'll notice. The man just went away whining. No, he didn't. You go on. In verse 34. Now there's 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Now watch Jesus' words in verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Why did Jesus come into the world? For judgment. He's not talking about day of judgment here. He came into the world in order to divide those who say they see from those who admit they're blind and therefore are given the opportunity to see. He makes a division. He makes a judgment. Who is going to give up the pressure of the culture around them and the pressure of their inner culture? Who is going to give that up for the one purpose of only believing and following Jesus? Who's going to actually do that? Some of the Pharisees, verse 40, near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. When you and I think that we just have it all together. Oh boy, we've got this whole thing fit in and we just have it all together. There's nothing much else we can learn. My life is just straight line with God's life. My life looks like His. I know what I need. I've got it made. You say you see. And your guilt remains. But when you and I admit, I don't have it all together. And I only know one person that can open my eyes and let me see. I only know one person that can heal my blind heart. And that's Jesus. Just like He healed this man. He's the only one that can open my eyes. I cannot see on my own. I cannot understand on my own. But he's the only one that can make me see and make me understand. 
So the question, are you a believer? Are you a disciple? No, I'm afraid that's not the question. The question is, are you a true believer? Are you a true disciple? If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It is difficult to deal with the pressures that come from our inner circle and stand up even when everyone around us says you're absolutely wrong. No, no idea of being arrogant here. No idea of, of saying, oh, I just know it all. Nothing like that. That'd be the opposite. No idea of not listening and testing our beliefs. That would be wrong. But when we read it in Scripture and everybody else is going a different way, who am I going to believe? I have to stick with the Lord's Word. If you're not a Christian, if you're not, if you've allowed that inner circle to pressure you into believing in a different Jesus than is really there. This church is glad to help you. We're glad to help you. If there's any way we can help you, we'd be glad to do so. If you'd like to make that known at this time as we sing this song, you can step forward. We'll all together we can stand and sing.